Brexit, Sinn Féin, FTA, coronavirus? The Fury Theory starts right now. The Fury Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFB Advocacy. I'm delighted to welcome Patty Hart, Chairman of the International Fund for Ireland. He has been in the United States for the last week, meeting with policymakers, discussing the important peace-building work of the IFI, and stressing the importance of the Good Friday Agreement. Patty, we live in interesting times. Uh, let's start with coronavirus. How has your world been impacted? How has your meetings been impacted by this kind of virus that's spreading across the world? Okay, firstly, John, thanks for the invitation for and the, and the opportunity to speak here. Uh, we do live in interesting times. Uh, I think um, uh, that uh, it's not it's long for me over yet. Uh, I'm getting messages from home in Ireland uh, and from my children in in, in the UK uh, and. Very interesting times. There are a lot of concerns. Uh, I think we've had a really good, good time uh, here. Our meetings were pretty much on schedule until about Wednesday, and then th- people got to realize this coronavirus uh, ha- had to be taken on. So a number of our events were cancelled. Um, well, the speakers' lunch was very good. People attended. People turned up and. You know, it's really important that people turn up at events like the speakers' lunch. It's a, it was a, it was important for us. Um, unfortunately, some of the other events were just too many people. Um, uh, uh, disappointed that the White House event didn't go ahead. I understand completely why. Uh, but we've had a good week. A good week. So um, I was appointed by the Trump administration to be the official observer of the International Fund for Ireland. It's been around for quite a long time. I've been to three meetings. I want to say... I've been very, very impressed by the work of the IFI. I've been very impressed by the important mission of the IFI. And I've been very impressed by your chairmanship. You've done a, a heck of a job. Could you describe to us what the IFI does and how it's been funded and how long it's been around? Um, thank you for those remarks. And you've been very participative uh, at board. So thank, thank you for that. Uh, the fund very quickly set up after the Anglo-Irish Agreement in 1985, and it was a seminal agreement between the British and Irish governments about the relationship to Northern Ireland, fairly fundamental. Uh, the US government, uh, uh, worked with the Irish government, set up the International Fund. Uh, the uh, unique part at the beginning was that Tip O'Neill, a democratic uh, speaker, uh, and President Reagan uh, came together uh, and put a package of 85 million to put practical effect to the new arrangements. And I, th- I think a thing to remember about agreements, uh, which, which need to happen, is that how does that look when it hits the ground? How does that, how does that look when it reaches a community? Uh, and the insight that Tip O'Neill and President Reagan had at that time was, we need to put practical effect in this so that the communities that were torn apart by, by the violence and by the troubles, can feel that this, this agreement matters to them. So for about between 1986 and the Good Friday Agreement, uh, the International Fund was support from the US government and la- but later from the, from the EU and from Australia, Canada and New Zealand, but a special relationship with, with, with the US, which may come back to in a moment, meant that we were building up communities' capacity to withstand the control that paramilitaries had on them. They were caught, they were caught off, off balance because by the, by the time 
communities were, were trying to figure out what was happening, they were pretty much traumatized. So the fund, because of its independence and its independence came from its international dimension and a significant part of that international dimension uh, was the US. So communities saw the fund as, as an honest broker. It, it wasn't from the British government and it wasn't from the Irish government. So we could go where no one else could go. And it gave us, um, I suppose, a, a, a fairly broad way of responding, uh, very uniquely. So by the time we got to the Good Friday Agreement, a significant amount of groundwork had been done. Um, and I'm, I think I, I'm happy enough to say that that those who needed to come to the table uh, 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 were willing to come to the table because communities were saying, we don't want this anymore. And, uh, and a large part of them saying, we don't want this anymore uh, because of the interventions of the International Fund and the support that, that we got from the US. So um, there's a big television program now on, um, uh, especially in, in, in uh, Ireland, Ireland of Ireland called Dairy Girls. And it kind of has this kind of flipping kind of, I think I, I love watching it, but it's kind of a humorous look at, at the troubles. But it's, it really wasn't that funny. You're a Donegal man. You're from, you, your your father was uh, a member of the, the a TD from um, from Donegal, um, which is a member of the Irish Parliament um, for my American viewers. Uh, it was kind of a tough time. I, I remember being uh, in school uh, at Galway in the early mid 80s. And it, it was not the roughest of times, but it's still a rough time. Talk about you know, the, how things have gone since the Anglo-Irish Agreement and how they've progressed through the Good Friday Agreement and how things are today. I mean, you've, you've seen it. You've been at, in the middle of this for a long, long time. Yeah. I mean, it was a really dark time. Um, uh, and once you flip your head back into it, it's uh, and, and sometimes we talk about it now, but not, not, not so much. My, my wife from Northern Ireland, so... And we lived on one side of the border, worked on the other side of the border, uh, and sometimes uh, I had a you know, in a car, going to to his grandmother or going to see someone, and your car would be stopped, open, checked, uh, and that was that was all the time. Uh, and and I understand why it needed to be done, but it was a very dark time, and everything happened. You know, there were gun battles, there were there were, there were there was bombing, um, and people learned to live with it. And learning to live with it is fine because it gets you through the time. Uh, the The consequences of it are that at some point uh, uh, you're gonna you're gonna have to deal with the trauma of having lived through having lived through that. So uh, that's why I've a personal passion because of, because of of how my family dealt with living on the border and how communities dealt with living on the border. Uh, and I've witnessed some incredible individuals who showed amazing uh, community leadership in the face of all of that uh, and they are they're they're forgotten heroes they would not want to be known as heroes uh, and that is that bit by bit meant uh, that life on the border slowly but surely became easier um, uh, and now for me it doesn't exist I can go across the border just uh, there's two things, uh, sometimes sterling, but not always, because people will take it both sides of the border. Uh, the, the the road signs are in kilometers, and then they're in miles. That's pretty much the difference now, which is a, an amazing achievement. And then you have different cell service. 
right? I mean, sometimes you'll you'll be with uh, the Irish cell service, and then you go to the UK, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and that's about another you know, yeah, small yeah, difference. Yeah. Um, so there's an old old joke, uh, and I hope this is not offensive. I don't want to make uh, offensive jokes here, but you know what Irish Alzheimer's is? You, you forget everything except your grudges. Um, how do people? And that's an old family joke, so I'll just say because I'm of Irish descent. Um, I. How do you, the IFI does so much work to try to get people to get beyond their grudges, get beyond the past. How do you get people to, to, to understand the past, but embrace the future? And it seems especially the case in some of the more troubled communities. Uh, how do you, how do you work on that? And it's really kind of at the visceral level, trying to get people to understand each other, right? Yeah, well, you mentioned my my dad. So maybe maybe start start with that part. I, I, as a teenager, um, uh, in our myself and my brother's room, there was a there was a there was a spare bed, uh, and weekends would be some someone would be on the bed, and it'd be someone from some paramilitary organization or other uh, going somewhere. Uh, and as a teenager, we didn't we didn't like it because these people were, in our view, in our eyes, were killing people. Right. Um, I now know. Uh, why he was doing it because he was secretly taking them to a location of Donegal where they could meet someone from the other paramilitaries. So it starts in a very, in a way, it's a really simple thing, uh, except that it takes a lot of skill uh, to give people the space to be willing to talk about where they're coming from. And, and we have some incredibly skilled people uh, who will take all the time you need started where the, where the person is realize that on a on a on a bad day uh but for the grace of god go i so right. you have to be willing to accept that the person that you're looking at uh isn't a bad person a set of circumstances has resulted in them taking a course of action uh, and it's our job to work slowly with them to allow them uh to hold on to their identity uh and make them feel that that that's not threatened, nor do they have to threaten someone else to keep their identity in place. Slow, tedious, very skillful uh, staff are doing that sort of work day in, day, in, day out. Yeah, that's that's more some of the beautiful part of the IFI. Um, so I was looking, uh, I, was, I was over to Ireland and uh, I had this new copy of The Economist and um, they had this picture of a united Ireland and you know Sinn Féin, I think their, their electoral success, relative success, uh, in, in the Republic kind of surprised some people in the U.S., immediately put the idea of a border poll, uh, the idea of a vote. Uh, it's a little premature for that, don't you think? I mean, it, it just it seems like it puts a lot of pressure on a situation that already has a lot of pressure. Well, I, I, can I, I use a family joke just yeah. to say uh, <laughs> yourself? Um, and if I was starting, I wouldn't start from here. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, it's, it's the things that matter to people when they get up in the morning is her, you know, if, her, her kids, uh, are, are they working? Uh, are they going to get a job? Are they going to go to college? How's the medical system? Uh, those are things that actually matter. Uh, the risk with coming at this too soon uh, is that people's, people's emotional side takes over and their rational thought begins to drift away. So they, they temporarily forget that it's the kids that matter, it's the family that matter. Uh, and um, that's the risk. So what we want to what we want to make sure we do is allow people to talk about this and find out that their health services are joined up, their education services are joined up, they're moving across the border freely, and some distant time in, in the future, somebody you waking up someday, and someone say, "Here, this island's kind of 
unanimously, all right, uh, and then because it, do, it doesn't matter then. So it is much, much too soon. The complexities are um, much, much too strong. I think it's really important to remember uh, that for 30 years, every day, uh, uh, there was a there was violence. Uh, and you know, did it happen to you? It was it happened to your friend? Did it happened to, to some some of your loved ones? And that caused a huge fracture in society, deep, deep wounds. So whenever uh, you want to address this, you have to be very confident and very aware um, that. Uh, that what you're dealing with is deep-seated trauma, huge reservoir of hurt, and you just can't flip that because with a referendum. You just can't do that. Um, another complicating factor, obviously, is Brexit. Um, Brexit kind of captured the imagination of the United States, uh, not really understanding all the details of it. Um, they worked out a, an agreement with the European Union, uh, Great Britain, UK, to exit from Europe. Um, you know, that was that put a lot of pressure on a lot of the different parties in the north, obviously. Uh, have, have tensions kind of eased since Brexit or are they still kind of bubbling uh, at the surface? Well, Brexit is just taking a different form at the moment. It's still there's still a whole negotiation to go on. There's right. the end of this year. Um, so Brexit is still there. Yeah. Uh, um, and the rate at which the negotiations go, it's it's something that's parallel to what we do. It sets a, a tone of what we do. Um, but the issues are now out. The issues are if 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 you if you feel um, that your identity is with 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 Britain, uh, then you you have reasonable reason at the moment to think well that could come under threat heavily. Uh, and if you're uh, from the Republican community, you think well maybe uh, maybe this this is our time. So you get people, especially on the on, on the fringes, having platforms uh, to take to take positions that uh, have the potential to, to get out of hand. If you if you take a look, say the young loyalist uh, males, just as a as a as an example, uh, uh, traditionally they they direct access to the ship the the, the shipyards and, and manufacturing businesses. Uh, so um, employment is very poor for them. So hope is not something that they have. Uh, and abundance, uh, and uh, they're being targeted by paramilitaries to say you need to now defend yourself, defend the union um, against uh, the end of of the union and the United Ireland and all that. All, all, all myths, but but if a young person's no hope and someone gives them that kind of hope, then they want to do do lots of things. So that's a real it's a real danger. And on the dissident Republican side, uh, they're saying look. Maybe this is our day. You know, we've been we've won the United Ireland forever, and now we're going now we're going to get it. So it's those tensions are out, uh, and uh, it's the uh, the work of the fund probably as much as ever, as much as as it was in 1985, 86, uh, to make sure that those young people have a, have hope in another path, education, school, you know, school jobs. So one of the things that the uh, IFI does, one of the programs, they have a lot of different programs, but one of the programs is the Peace Walls program. The idea, and it's kind of, people understand this uh, because they understand what the Peace Walls, uh, kind of like the idea that uh, you had these, the big wall between East Germany and, and West Germany, tear this wall down. But it's a little bit more complicated than that because in, in Belfast and other areas, 
um, the Peace Wall separates two communities and they, there's kind of a, a general sense that people want to bring these walls down, but there's also a sense that it provides for some folks some security. Talk about the, the work of the Peace Walls program and, and, and how important that is and how I think it's a really good example of, of the delicacy of which the, the IFI and it, the people at its funds, how sophisticated they are in trying to bring these communities together. Okay, just the statistic, there are 100 peace walls uh, and predominantly Belfast, some in Derry, London area, but predominantly Belfast, about 20, 25 kilometers of walls. These are walls between communities right up close to the window of a house on either side. They're, they're really intrusive walls. The reason they were there initially is 70% of conflict-related deaths happened within 500 yards uh, and 85% within 100 yards of where these peace walls are. Wow. So there was a there was a, an ill-guided reason for putting them up uh, to try and make sure that separated communities. Uh, uh, I, th I think the problem was that, that the, the I think even, even the British Army officer in charge said, you know, putting these walls up is pretty straightforward. You're going to have trouble taking them down, and he was right. Uh, so what what you have what we have now uh, is that while seventy six percent of people want the walls down, they want them they want them down in their lifetime or in the lifetime of their children. Uh, so while they want them down, there's a fear if they go, uh, things may may go backwards. Uh, so there's a, a really slow, delicate conversation to get people to express their fears, uh, and then once we've Express the fears. Say, well, what would work? What would help you to do that? And we work very closely with the Department of Justice, uh, and uh, and saying, look, if they come down, or reimage, or get smaller, uh, or get declassified so they're no longer a wall. Uh, and there've been some really inventive ways of doing that, so it's still looking after the the security that people need because of their fears. Uh, they're aesthetically better. They're open more. Uh, and that's it's amazing. I mean, I, it's, as you say, it's one of those things that is so symbolic of of uh, of, mo of, a, of moving on in the troubles, uh, and they're important a because they're, they're, that's the beginning of communities beginning to reintegrate, uh, and secondly, it's a it's a clear signal that things are moving on. The other ways that things move on aren't as easy to see, uh, right. you know. So they're very they're, they're very significant for that reason. So uh, the UK and the US are already involved in negotiations on a free trade agreement. Um, that has its own complications. Nancy Pelosi said when she was over in Ireland that not, there's not going to be any FTA without a specific provision defending and memorializing the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, that's important, isn't it? I mean, if there is going to be any kind of free trade agreement, you got to make sure that the Good Friday Agreement stays alive, right, and, and in, in full effect. Yeah, I mean the Good Friday Agreement uh, is the reason why uh, lots and lots of people can go about their ordinary lives now. Uh, I mean, it was really a really significant agreement to get get the paramilitaries uh, to sign up to it, uh, and it was the beginning of a beginning of peace. Uh, to take any aspect of that away will leave both or or either or communities under threat again. So it's really important that. Uh, the U.S. knows uh, that what Nancy Pelosi says, what the U.S. government says in terms of the Good Friday Agreement, uh, means that 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 uncertainty is not there. So that 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 certainty, 
sets the tone of how we work. If, if it came under threat, then things would things would, uh, would would start spiraling on us. So it's a really, really, really important high-end message just to make sure that the people on the island of Ireland know that the Good Friday Agreement uh, with the support of the U.S. government will be will remain in place, whatever the trade agreement is. And I, that's all very complicated. I don't want to get into how complicated it is to do a free trade agreement with Northern Ireland uh, that includes the U.K. and then you know have the year Ireland as part of the EU. I don't know how they work it out, but I'm sure they'll come up with something. Um, before you, the week before you came out, there was a little bit of surprise news. Uh, Mick Mulvaney uh, be, got appointed to be the uh, special envoy to North, Northern Ireland and to the island of Ireland to uh, practical effect. Um, how did you guys view that? I, I thought it was a good sign that someone of that political stature, former chief of staff, could be sent and, and learn. You, you met with Mick Mulvaney, as did I, uh, at separate meetings. Um, talk about how that was received by the folks uh, uh, in your communities. Well, uh, on a couple of months, uh, we had to, we had the news of of the U.S. government investing two million in the fund. Uh, just a, hopefully, just a drop in the bucket. Hopefully, they'll be investing a lot more than two million because they used to be investing up to twenty to thirty million. We're hoping they get us up to ten million, but two million is a good start. Two million is a good start. Um, uh, we're we're well well ready to to, to scale up. Uh, and uh, um, before we just get to, to Mick McVeigh. The two million is such a significant amount of money coming from the U.S. And when the U.S. Uh, was to increase that, uh, then that's a huge message. It's uh, yes, it's the money. Uh, it's a huge message to all our stakeholders that uh, that the U.S. are taking this seriously. So that's a, that's just important to say that. And important to thank the U.S. government for, for doing that and staying with us, and to thank you for all your effort and and uh, and supporting us to get this far and. Um, continue to look after us in the future. Well, just to be clear, two million is a very, very small investment. has a large impact, but we need to do more. Uh, two million is just the start, and I've only been there for a while, but I, I'm adamant that we need to increase that that, that support. But anyway. yeah, absolutely. Uh, and yes, met Mick Bovani and and um, uh, Belfast, and then uh, uh, myself, and my colleagues, Madam Madam in the West Wing. Great um, passion for Ireland, gets it, understands it. So we have someone. He understands the issues. We have someone who has got incredible uh, access here. So it was really welcome for us. We're really, really looking forward to working with them. Well, Patty Hart, I want to say uh, once again, your leadership at the IFI, everyone who works at the IFI, we have a couple of your colleagues here, uh, Nora and John, uh, great, great human beings. Um, um, I, I want to say that I really do appreciate you coming to the Fury Theory uh podcast. It's great that you're here. It's great that the United States, and I want you to stay safe in this world of coronavirus and hope that we can all survive. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day, John, and stay safe. Thank you. Thank you.